Welcome back to Awakening Reformation, where Reformation awakens now. My name is Grant, and joined with me is my beautiful wife, Erica, the weaker vessel. Hello, everyone. If you would like to find out more about Awakening Reformation, we are proud members of the Rebel Alliance Media. Go to rebelalliancemedia.com to learn more. They have another podcast, Rebels Podcast, that comes out on Wednesdays. They are slaying it. Yeah, they just started a series on the parables of Jesus. I'm so excited for that. I am super excited, too. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. There's a lot of really, like, crap teaching on parables, but Uh not, like, a ton of good teaching. So I'm super excited to hear them, like, pick the parables apart. and. I know. Well, and it's one of those things where there's, like, 50 different commentaries, and they all say something different. Yep. Not a lot of post-mill people teaching on the parables. Go check them out. We also do a podcast with our kids that comes out on Mondays, and that's called Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids, and it's basically just a church history podcast about 10 minutes long for families. It's just very fun and laid back. It's not supposed to be very stuffy or... Yeah, so tune in. The website also has blog articles that come out every weekend and also a teaching series, so just go check out all that stuff, all the Rebel Alliance media stuff. Give us reviews, like the pages on all the social media. All we really the stuff appreciate and it. That's right. So Grant is sick in case you haven't been able to tell. Yeah. I thought I was gonna die yesterday. Grant has a man cold and it's for it's a man infection. It, well that's true. I am taking an antibiotic. This true. is real. <laughs> no, he, he legitimately is ill. I'm not downplaying that. But the man cold is a serious problem in America <laughs> and probably everywhere. Well, at least in our home. (laughs) So, three of the five of us are ill on antibiotic, steroids, all of the things. Yeah. But we're mostly getting over it now. You're the last to pick it up, hopefully. I seem to get it after everyone was starting to get better. I feel better than yesterday. Yes. I just don't sound any better. That's what's going on in our house. So, if we seem lackluster, we're sorry. We kind of are. And you're going to get two episodes with this wonderful radio voice since we will be on a little vacay next next weekend. So we're doubling up tonight. That's right. So we're recording this week's podcast and next week's podcast so that we can go on a family vacation to New England. Heck yes. We've never been to New England before and it's fall. So we're pretty dang excited. Yeah, we're kind of stoked. Tonight, what are we talking about? All right, so tonight... Enough of yes, enough torturing of, our listeners <laughs> with our terrible illnesses. Enough of the Vambrimer infirmary. Yeah. So we're going to talk about answering uh, Christian's doubts. We've had some recent Facebook interactions with some people who have walked away from the faith. We have also seen a video that Under Oath, the band, and if you know Under Oath, the band, uh-huh. they put out a video talking about problems in the church, and one of them is how you're never allowed to doubt, and you're never allowed to ask questions. And I so, think that was through BuzzFeed. Was it? I think so. Sounds like something BuzzFeed would put out. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. And I used to love Under Oath. It was one of my like yeah, favorite too. bands, and have seen them multiple times, but mm-hmm. hearing them say this, it just gives me such like angst 
Well, the all well, Aaron here, Gillespie you know? is like dropping f bombs. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Right. I mean, clearly there's some massive issues going on in that man's heart. Yeah. So that's what we wanted to talk about, seeing that this stuff is getting plenty of visibility. Yeah. And it kind of goes right along with that, like, deconversion yeah. trend, I think, as well. It's okay to tear apart your faith. Mm-hmm. Go and, ahead. And never have to, like, reconstruct anything, you know? Mm-hmm. Everything can just be, like, so postmodern and... Have no meaning and stuff. Unresolved. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Which is so not the biblical meta-narrative. Not at all. So let's talk about that, huh? All right. So the first thing that we saw people doubt often is their salvation. Yeah. And I mean, this can just be, I mean, someone dealing with assurance of their salvation, right? Well, this is where like theology matters because I can remember when we were in college, there were a lot of people, it was a very Arminian college. There were a lot of people who would like literally be freaking out, doubting their salvation. Yeah. And... I remember that too. Other and day. it's because if you believe that the, your salvation is up to you, you should be scared. Like, they're being consistent. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Good on your them. Your doubts are real. <laughs> There's that. Um, but, like, if you have a reformed soteriology, you know that your salvation isn't up to you and you can't lose it. Which is just biblical. Yeah. People want to pick at reformed theology and you have your system of thought and you have your verses or whatever, but really it's just biblical. Read the whole Bible and you realize who it is the one that brings and affects salvation. Who is the one that does salvation? We don't. God does. Mm -hmm. He is the one who saves. Yeah. I mean, we could get into a whole podcast about soteriology and how that affects doubts and and we don't necessarily even need to do that. Um, But but theology does matter. And I think a lot of why Christians doubt is because of the lack of theology that they're taught. Most Christians don't know, don't know their Bible. Most Christians yeah. don't have any foundation. So when life comes at them, like whatever meager foundation they do have just crumbles. Yeah. And this is like the area of applied theology too. Yeah. Is they they know it maybe maybe some of them know it. I mean, and they don't to actually some extent walk in it. You're a I Bible think, college student; it's all handed to you. Yeah, but even in Unless Bible it's college, a real college, that's true. But I mean, in, in an Armenian from an Armenian standpoint, you're told that I mean, you choose God, and yeah, yeah, He loves you, and all these things. But when life gets really hard, and you don't feel like God loves you, and you might feel like He's punishing you, or what have you, mm. and people around you are giving you, you know, an alternative belief, what do you have? Like, you don't have any, you don't have any, like, firm foundation to stand on that says, no, God saved me. Right. If God is the one who saved me, then I can't lose my salvation. And all things work for good. So even though I'm going through this trial right now, I know that God's going to work it for his glory and my good. Mm -hmm. And, like, there's just no, if you don't have that foundation um, being rooted and built up in God's word, I think it's easy to have doubts because it's Christianity true. is a pretty stupid hobby. Exactly. Yeah. First John five thirteen. At the end of his letter, John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So John wrote this letter knowing that there were doubters. Who would doubt their salvation. Who would doubt their salvation. And so when he said, I write these things, Mm-hmm. The book, I don't remember it off the top of my head, but the book has several tests 
if you this, if you that, if you, and he just lays it out. Like, here's what will help you know that you do have eternal life. So read First John if you're doubting your salvation. Yeah, First, First John would be a great place to go. First John is such a comforting book. Mm-hmm. It's very nurturing. Yeah. You know, I don't know what other word to use to describe it, but yeah, it is. it's like it's a, a warm word. blanket, you know? Right. Probably the more serious area of doubt is those who just doubt the truth of the Bible. Yeah. These are the ones who doubt things like creation or the flood or the virgin birth or whether or the Bible is the word authority. of God. Yeah, just yeah. that it has any type of authority. Mm-hmm. There are tons of inconsistent Christians who will say, well, maybe there was some kind of, you know, global flood or whatever. And sure, that's a possibility. But I mean, does it really matter? That's typically what they say. Does it really right. even matter? It doesn't really matter. And that was Rob Bell's whole thing. Like, yeah. it doesn't really, if it's not true, it, there's really no real implication. What does it really change? Yeah, there's no, there's no implications of it being false uh-huh. or exaggerated or whatever, right. misinterpreted. Which was a terribly minimalistic way of looking at the Christian faith. Well, it's Rob Bell, so... Yeah. So, at the beginning of Luke... Okay. Uh, Luke 1, Luke is talking to Theophilus, who hired Luke, who was a doctor, to write the book of Luke. Yeah. And so, starting in verse 3, it says, It seemed good to me also, having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So Luke is telling Theophilus, I have been studying these things out. Mm -hmm. I wrote an account of the things that I have found to be true so that you can know that what you have been taught is in fact true and right. You don't have to doubt. You don't have to question the things that you've been taught. I went back and I studied carefully to make sure that these things are in fact correct. And that's always the goal with truth is to eventually close on it. We open our minds. I think this was Doug Wilson who said, we we should have an open mind so as to close on truth. If we leave it open too long, our brain will fall out. Yeah. And so this is what Luke is providing for Theophilus. Here is the account, the accurate account, mm-hmm. so that you can be certain. Yeah. And he does the similar thing with the book of Acts. But we don't see um, Luke telling Theophilus that he is unwise to make sure that these things are in fact true. Right. Luke doesn't say, wow, you were kind of rebellious for wanting to hire me to just, yeah. you know, double check these things. He says, you know, oh, what does he call him? Oh, excellent Theophilus. Yeah. Like what Theophilus was trying to do, find truth, yeah. make certain that what he believed was in fact true, made him excellent. You know, he, it made him wise and i think luke is acknowledging that yeah we don't get we don't get a sense of him rebuking Certainly theophilus not. for no. for wanting certainty well he's clearly speaking highly of theophilus and then yeah. he does what theophilus hired him to do so mm. commonly people respond to the uncertainty of their salvation obviously one of two ways one they just reject it and they walk away from the faith this is just nonsense or i can't i can't handle this tension and they walk away, or they grow. They grow in their trust for the Lord. They grow in the trust and trust in Jesus as their Savior. Mm-hmm. And they grow out of their uncertainty, and they grow more in their assurance 
mm-hmm. of their faith. So when people have questions and they start to doubt their salvation or like scriptural authority, things like that, they typically fall into one of two categories, which would be falling away from their faith, becoming apostate. They reject the faith altogether. For Presbyterians, we can uh, we can understand that one pretty well. <laughs> but for for Christians who are genuinely just wanting to understand and maybe just wrestling through through some things, wanting more assurance, like Theophilus, I think that there's growth to be had on the other side of that doubt. And this is encouraged all through the New Testament mm-hmm. to study the Word to grow in grace and your understanding of Jesus Christ. And there's always this like upward move in yeah. your walk to be having your mind transformed. Right. And, uh, being transformed from glory to glory and all this kind of stuff is, is what the Christian life is supposed to be about. Yeah. And I've had it. I've had doubts and oh, certain yeah. Bible verses that come up and I'm like, what in the world does that mean? And even recently, you know, it just, it keeps, coming around at different spots in the Bible. Well, we were having this conversation a couple days ago about people who say, you just need to be more open-minded. And then you hear other Christians say that to be open-minded means to not have any resolution. And I understand both sides of that argument. Uh Uh-huh. Like, so I think we're talking about in context of um, like a Christian who believes that scripture is their authority that so far as scripture affirms then that's your guide and rule mm-hmm. you right. can have an open mind if you go to scripture with an open mind and say whatever this is going to be teaching me or whatever direction this takes me then I'm open minded in that sense Right. then that's good and right. You should be open-minded when it comes to how God's word would speak to you and change you. In any other context, we need to not be open-minded. We need to be very cautious. Even in, I sometimes think even in um, Christian to Christian exhortation, yeah. we need to be careful because even with pastors, and I'm in a women's Bible study right now, which we'll not talk <laughs> much about, but Um, we're going through a Christine Kane book. I'm not going to even call it a study because it's definitely not a Bible study. God bless you. I am trying so hard to just like be faithful and speak truth and not just go in flip tables. But anyway, (laughs) not the point. Point being that we have to be very cautious even when we're exhorted by other brothers and sisters or pastors or any teacher because... Our mind should be so open that if the Lifeway stickers on the back of a book, we just accept it as truth. Yeah. We're called to exercise discernment. For sure. Biblical discernment. So it's not wrong to go into a study or go into a church service or something or have a conversation with a friend and stop and think, is this lining up with scripture? Like, is this right? Is this true? We are exhorted by John to test the spirits to see if they are from God, mm-hmm. because there are many false prophets in the world. Right. So another reason why theology matters, another reason why knowing the entire Bible matters, mm-hmm. another reason why knowing the the grand meta narrative of the Bible matters, 
because it can help build that discernment in your own Christian life when, like Erica said, dealing with not so good Bible book studies. Book studies. It's not a Bible study. It's a book study. <laughs> or a friend trying to exhort you or a you know bad sermon or something like that. So Yeah, yeah. So be open-minded when it comes to Scripture. Yes right. and amen. Let it reform and conform, transform your mind. Exactly. That was good, man. I don't know. I like that. I'm a homeschool mom. <laughs> I can do those kind of things every now and then. Yeah. So we open our mind so that it's transformed by the Word. The Bible has no leeway with opening up our mind to the teachings of false prophets. Yeah. And that would be other religions. Yeah. Colossians 2.8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. So let that be your guide. Let that be how you conduct your open-mindedness. Yep. So testing and sometimes uh, second-guessing or finding more assurance in what you know to be true. Yeah. So long as you're going to Scripture as your authority, it's a great thing. Well, and in the Psalms, there are several places where God purposefully acts absent in order to draw us closer to himself. Yeah, that we would seek him. That we would seek him, that we would long for him. Mm -hmm. And we see this in a couple places. And at first we go, what the heck, God? Like, why are you doing this? But it always turns out that he was doing it to to draw you in. And he was doing it so that you would pray more. He was doing it so you would read his word more and Mm -hmm. draw closer to him. So even in those dry spells or these doubting times, God's purpose in it is your growth Mm -hmm. to draw closer to him. So a lot of times we think that doubting is like unchristian. Yeah. So what would you say to someone who is telling you that a doubter is someone who just doesn't have faith in Jesus? Well, this is where I kind of agree with like the under oath people and just other people we've talked to on Facebook. And I know Tim Keller has some really good sermons on like in- Christians having intellect and using yeah. their minds and stuff like that. And he always says that Christianity is a reasonable faith. Mm -hmm. So we can reason, and Scroll has very similar content, um, we can reason and we can come to a conclusion based on just rationale that Christianity is just true. Right. So I think that this idea that doubting is unchristian is almost a charismatic influenced statement. Yeah, it's true because it's saying that Unless you have this positive feeling continuously, yeah, then you're not a Christian. If that positive feelings towards God is ever disrupted, then something has gone awry well, in your faith. It's like dissecting the intellect and the feeling, the emotional response right. to what we know to be true. Yeah, basically is saying your faith is grounded on your emotions, not on truth. Right. Or on Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But the fact that someone would say that you shouldn't doubt as a Christian, and we'd have to, like, I mean, sit down and say, what kind of doubting are we talking about? Are we just saying that we're struggling to understand a certain doctrine? Are we saying that we're no longer Christians? Are we throwing the whole thing? I mean, sometimes doubting can be right and healthy. Sometimes doubting can be toxic. Yeah. I guess you'd have to kind of get a little bit more nuanced with the answer, but... So we have a famous example in scripture. Yeah. 
of doubting Thomas. Yeah. I mean, and, he didn't even believe that Jesus was Jesus. I know, right? And what I love about this story is Jesus' reaction to him was not really of rejection. Yeah, he didn't condemn him. Yeah, I mean, he corrected him. He said, yeah. blessed are those who never see and believe, mm-hmm. which really shows the amazing mercy of God. But he, you know, Jesus condescended, right? He still let him touch the holes in his hands and in his side and gave Thomas what he needed. Yeah, when he said, blessed are those who don't see and yet believe, I don't know that that was him necessarily, like, slapping him on the wrist so much as it was him praising the people who wouldn't see Uh him. You know, I mean, it wasn't, if you praise one person, it doesn't necessarily mean that you are condemning the rest. So, in his saying, to the future peoples, my peoples in the future, they're not going to be able to see me and they're going to be blessed to still have a faith in me. I don't know that you don't he, think he was, was being rebuking s- Thomas a little I don't, bit. I don't know. I don't know that he was being that harsh with Thomas. I see what you're saying. Like he's going to say, everyone else isn't going to have this chance. Yeah. And they're still going to be blessed in believing. Yeah, I've always heard it taught that way, but when I read it, I don't know. Maybe I just have to go back and read it again. But yeah, I I kind of see what you're saying though. But I've been taught that way too. That he was kind of saying, "Hey, I'll accommodate you, Thomas," but. But you stupid. But you missed out on a blessing. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sitting here thinking, but Maybe he's like not. literally touching Jesus. So is he really missing out on a blessing? I know. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Not really. Well, maybe. Not the point. Because it is this, true. But... We're all. Yeah, no. <laughs> Moving on. So you brought up the, the man whose son was healed. Yeah, the man who had a demon possessed son. Right. Who kept throwing himself into the fire. Right. And so Jesus heals him. Yeah, well, Jesus asked if he wanted to be healed, uh-huh. um, if the father wanted Jesus to heal his son. And the father said, yeah, if you can do it, basically go ahead. And Jesus said, if, <laughs> if I can do it, which is why I have a problem with the if gatherings, but not the point once again. <laughs> and the father said, I believe that you can do it. Help my unbelief. Yeah. Help me to not have that shred of that little bit of me that that doubts or can't quite understand how mm-hmm. you're going to do this. Can't get to that full trust right. right now. And then Jesus does. He heals the boy and the demons flee and they don't come back. Yeah. And so if you're having doubts and you feel like it's wrong, it kind of is. Use that time to... It kind of is. Right? Because... If you're asking for it to go away, then obviously it's something you shouldn't have. Well, yeah, I can see what you're saying. It kind of is in the same sense that we are not fully sanctified. Yeah. Like, we should be... We need help. (laughs) We should be like Christ, yet we're not. Right. We are being sanctified. And that's basically what the removing of the doubt is, right? Is that we are made more and more into the image and likeness of Christ. We're growing. We're We're growing. Yeah. That's the process. So, if you have a doubt... You need to be honest, mm-hmm. first and foremost, like that father was honest with Jesus. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do have this doubt. And help me not doubt that. Help me not yeah. doubt you in this. The desire should be that it goes away. We don't somehow. want Somehow. And, and I think that's the biggest problem with these like under oath bands and these uh, deconversion movement people mm-hmm. and like the agnostic Christians who are super trendy right now. Yeah. They'll be like, I am kind of like a Christian but I also like don't really believe that you can really know God and Christ at the same time. Mm. 
Like, it's just a weird thing to me. Like, we have a couple yeah. friends who basically call themselves a Christian and agnostic. Yeah. And it's strange. Agnosticism requires the highest amount of intelligence in the world because you have to know everything to know you can't know anything. Anyway, but that's the problem with all of all of these types of movements is just that you almost want to stay stuck in, like, neutral. Right, they don't want responsibility. You don't want to, like, kick it up or kick it down. You just want to stay in that, like, neutral place Mm -hmm. where it feels like you don't have to be challenged. You don't have to cry out and say, help me in my unbelief, or let me stick my hands in your wounds, or, like, you're just kind of safe in your agnostic thinking. I I I don't know how else to say it, but in your own ideologies, you feel superior, and that's where you want to stay. You don't want to be challenged. You don't want to come to truth. You just want to feel superior in your own little neutral state. What I've noticed, too, is that this deconversion, deconstruction of your faith people often go into a lot of legalism. They go into a lot of, like, mysticism, contemplative prayer, and, of course, they emphasize a lot of the... The social justice aspect. They Not in the biblical sense. Yeah. And... They do all this stuff, so they're doing a whole lot, yet it's devoid of the rich theology that gives them freedom in Christ and certainty of salvation and all that kind of stuff. Gospelless, yeah. Yeah, and it's, they just go right into the legalism of all the other world religions. Well, that's what I mean. Like, it's an igno- like a religious agnosticism because yeah. they want to say we can't know who God is, yet somehow they know who God is because they've got him figured out. Right. and they, Whether it is mysticism, Christianity, a variation of a bunch of different religions, yeah. but most agnostics still are religious in some sense. It's really strange. It's like, God can never be figured out, but I know what he wants of me. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's an odd thing. And so I think that was more what the under people were talking about in that BuzzFeed video of Christians can't question. And I don't think they really meant like Christians can't work through a theological conundrum. I think what they meant is Christians can't dabble in homosexuality and see if they agree with it. Christians can't dabble in being promiscuous. Christians can't dabble in saying foul language. And if they do, then they're just condemned and shunned. And that's You know, that's just religion. That's not even what Christianity is about. It's just such utter nonsense that that's not doubting. That's just rebellion. Right. That's just walking away from You know it's wrong, yet you want to do it. That's not doubting anything. That's just you not liking what scripture says and being in rebellion against it. Yeah. And being around for any length of time, you can watch the breakdown of those people's faith. It's just one thing after another. It's the the one vice after another that they continue to add on and still try to call themselves Christian. And then because people are challenging them, they say, oh, what, a Christian can't X, Y, Z. Yeah. I'm doing it, so there I am. I'm a Christian doing that. Yeah. But they do always say, like, you know, I was just shut down by my pastor or I couldn't question anything and I couldn't, I couldn't have doubts about anything. Well, and I think that they're... That's probably true sometimes. I think there are a lot of pastors who are ignorant as well. Right. And they don't want one of their congregants coming up against them and questioning them because they don't have the answers and they can't be found out. So I, I could see that being a possibility. Not that that's always the case, certainly. Right. There are just rebellious Christians who want 
license to sin. Right. And the pastor won't give it to him. But I think sometimes there are pastors, and this is just a biblical literacy problem that's rampant in America. We yeah. just, even in our seminaries, we're pumping out men who are basically uneducated. Yeah, it's really sad to think a lot of pastors go to seminary for three years and still can't just answer a normal, everyday Christian's questions about Christianity or be able to answer their doubts. Well, it's like when Carl Lentz went on The View and they asked him about abortion. He couldn't just simply say, yeah, it's murdering a baby. Right, exactly. So is it is that ignorance or is that just a lack of courage? Probably both. <laughs> and I think pastors somehow think that they, they, you know, they have this power or something. And so if someone's challenging them, they get insecure and... Never experienced that before. <laughs> and can't just say, you know what? You have a good point. Let's meet again. Yeah. And talk about it. Or I think you have some really great questions. Can we get coffee next Tuesday or something? Yeah. I'd, I'd love to answer those for you. I'll study up. You study up. Yeah. And let's talk about this. Don't shut the person down and just say, well, you just need to believe. That's not helpful. Yeah. That has turned people off and go, wow, I can't even like just talk about what I'm thinking or anything. I just get told you're being unchristian or you just need to have faith. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. And Christianity is a religion. So there's the element of faith. So you just need to have more faith. Yeah. Those kind of weird answers are just pumped out left and right from pulpits. And and it sounds like a cult. Yeah. It really does. To demand blind faith is ridiculous. I was literally told that by a pastor at one point when I asked him something. He told me that he is an elder, that I have put myself yeah. underneath his rule, and I just need to follow him blindly. <laughs> that, like, literally word for word. I sat there, mouth agape. Dumbfounded. And said, hex to the no. <laughs> and and then we were kicked out of that church. We, we left. We <laughs> left before that could, it happened. Anyway, that's a long conversation. It wasn't because we doubt it. It's just because he didn't like that we were questioning some things that were unbiblical. Right. So that's what I'm saying. Like, sometimes Christians that question, quote-unquote, and doubt, quote-unquote, the direction of a church or a pastor yeah. or a doctrine that's being taught, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. If something looks sketchy, seems sketchy, doesn't seem right, then be a Berean. Like, see if it does match up with the scriptures. Exactly. The Bereans were not scolded. They were praised for going back and searching the scriptures to make sure that what Paul was teaching was true. Mm -hmm. So if you want to make sure that what your pastor's saying is true, go search it out. That's what we're saying. Have your mind opened to scripture Yeah. and be very leery of anything else. Even us. By golly, don't believe a word we say. Yeah, who knows what's happening tonight? I don't know. I mean, it's kind of off in here in case you can't go. <laughs> well, like, go to Scripture. What does Scripture have to say about its own authority? What does Scripture have to say about doubting and how, like, Grant said, Jesus condescends and how he treats us when we are low and we're asking to have our doubts removed. I mean, he's very compassionate and tender and he meets us where we're at and he gives us his word. He is the word. Like, he is the word incarnate. Like, he is constantly giving himself to us in his word. Yeah. Wanting more, wanting to know more, isn't a wrong thing. It's when you want to reject it in rebellion, question that scripture itself does have authority, that you get yourself in trouble. I think one of the problems that happens, too, is that 
some denominations or churches pump up their own brand so much that if they fail that person, that person thinks, well, this was the best thing on the block. And so if they failed me, then nothing else can work. Nothing else is going to do. And I've noticed that with some of the friends that we've had. And the more that we are able to move around this country and be in different types of churches, you realize that there are Jesus-loving, biblical, gospel-centered churches in all kinds of different denominations and all different places. So don't give up if just that church you grew up in ended up wronging you. Mm -hmm. Or if that certain type of Baptist that you grew up in ended up wronging you or whatever the case may be. Realize that Jesus looked at his disciples and said, are you guys going to leave too? And Peter said, where else would we go, Jesus? You alone have the words of eternal life. Yeah. So rest in the scriptures and go from there. People are going to be imperfect everywhere. I think sometimes we make Christianity an idol. And I mean that in the sense of like our preconceived idea of what our Christianity should be. Mm-hmm. So a lot of Christian kids will grow up in the Christian church and they'll go to a Christian school and have the Christian t-shirts and they grow up and life beats them up a little bit. And that idea of what it looked like to be a Christian is no longer appealing to them because they never understood what Christianity was all about. Yeah. They had like a, a veneer, you know, and right. it wasn't Christianity all along. It was just an idol, yeah. some made up version in their head that their parents gave them or it's like a souvenir yeah and it's just not even the real thing so they grow up and they throw it away because it's empty it's hollow it's just an idol it's Mm -hmm. vain and then they think i hate christianity it's just this dead thing but it's like all along that was never really christianity yeah they never were given the true substance of the faith in jesus sorry i don't know what i'm saying right now no that it's just very Presbyterian. That was right. <laughs> oh, praise God. Grant's <laughs> like fading fast, y'all. If you could see him right now, he's like sweating profusely in the corner and the glow of our laptop is like shining on the sweat beams in his forehead. But I love you guys so much. I'm still <laughs> recording for you. And I actually care very deeply about this topic because I know I have questioned so much in my faith in the last 10 years since we've been married. Mm -hmm. I mean, looking at where we were at in Bible college and to now. To now. And today. (laughs) I mean, almost every area of theology, I've had some sort of question about it and I've had to read a book or read up on it. And and, that's good. We're encouraging that kind of questioning and growth. But... But I still always have those words of Peter that ring in my mind that just say, where else would I go for? So I knew that Jesus was the answer. Mm-hmm. And, and I also knew these other stories of help my unbelief and stories of the Bereans mm-hmm. and the verse that in John, in 1 John 5.13 of, I write these things so that you may know. So like, I know God wants me to know. Yeah. I know God doesn't want us to stay in a state of unbelief or uncertainty or Or ignorance or ignorance. And like I mentioned too, some of the Psalms are specifically about God being kind of absent, Mm -hmm. but the purpose in all of that is to draw us in, to make us fall on our knees and go, God, please grow me, open my eyes, open my ears, show me 
renew me, transform me, mm-hmm. you know, show any wicked way in me, reveal to me these things. And God goes, ah, right where I wanted you. Yeah. I just think of in scripture where it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. Right. Yeah. So in order to gain an understanding of anything in life, whether it be the sciences or whether it be mm-hmm. who God is or just understanding why life is the way it is, right. you have to first fear God. And if you fear God, then everything else kind of falls into line a little bit. And you understand that our life isn't for us, you know, it's to give mm-hmm. God glory. So when we're searching out things that don't make sense, uh, maybe doctrines that we were taught growing up that now we're wrestling around with, we have to first say, okay, what does scripture say? I'm really frustrated about this right now, but I want to glorify God in my beliefs and how I live my life. So I know that God wants me to know what's true. I know that scripture can be understood. Right. The Holy Spirit illumines scripture for us. It right. can be understood and I can know truth exactly. to the glory of God. Not just to puff me up or to make me smarter than everyone else around me, Mm -hmm. but to the glory of God so I can know him and love him and enjoy him forever. And the Bible is not a science book Mm -hmm. or a history book. Contains both. Contains both. What it says about those things Mm -hmm. are true, but they aren't those things. The whole Bible is the story of God redeeming people through Christ. Everything. Old Testament, New Testament, it's all about that. Yep. Keep that in mind when you read anything in the Bible. That The point of all of this, though, is still to point to Christ. The point of this yeah. book or the point of the Proverbs, you know, is, you know, that's Jesus, the Word of God in wisdom being taught to us. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, all of it's about Jesus. Yeah. And kind of funny, too, because... It would have been two years ago now, we were sitting down with one of our friends, George, who did the podcast with us in the beginning. I just kind of like looked at you and him and I said, my goal over the summer, which would have been last summer, uh-huh. is to basically wrestle down Revelation. Mm. That's the one book that I hate reading. <laughs> it gives me anxiety. And like, that's the one book that I could never teach confidently. I could never try and explain it to someone confidently. And I hate that. I hate that I purposefully avoid that book in my reading. And as soon as I decided that I was going to, by the grace of God, wrestle it down, we started going into some like post-millennial studies and reading some books and listening to some pastors talk. And it was like, as soon as we started getting to be post-millennial and partial preterist and all of my frustrations, it just seemed like... And all of my doubts in that part of scripture and that it just kind of became resolved. And and I like for the first time, all those things that I had struggled with for so long just became so simple. So wrestling with scripture, wrestling with a portion of scripture is good and right. So long as it's to understand it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. If, If there is something in scripture that gives you anxiety or causes you doubt, don't just avoid it. Right. Or reject it. Or reject it. Or just say, I'm not smart enough, which is what I did for a long time. I'm just not smart enough. And you know what? No one really understands that book because there's tons of people who try and interpret Revelation and yeah. everyone has a different interpretation. So who am I to think that I could try and understand it? I mean, that was what I told myself for so long. And then I just realized I'm just being lazy and <laughs> rebellious. 
And it, it's one of the books that says there's a blessing for the one who reads it. I know. <laughs> well, and it's funny because... It's the one we avoid the most. I think when we started getting into that book, that's kind of when we started getting into our covenant theology. True. So, encouragement. Continue, yeah. Continue to wrestle and study and ask for understanding. Ask for the Spirit to open your eyes. Yeah. There's a psalm that I remember Eddie learning in Sunday school that our old pastor would pray before he'd read the scriptures. It was short and simple. It said, open my eyes. That I might see the wonderful things in your law. Yeah. And so just pray that. Lord, open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in your law. Yeah. And we're still learning. Trust me. Yeah. We don't have this whole thing nailed down. There are still things that we wrestle with and we have to figure out. But we know that by the grace of God and with the Holy Spirit's help, we can. And that's exciting. It shouldn't cause frustration. It should excite us. Like getting to know a new boyfriend or a girlfriend is exciting. Like there's something more to be learned there and we enjoy this person. So it's not a frustration to us to get to know our new boyfriend or girlfriend. It's exciting and it's something that we want to do. And we lay in bed at night thinking about it and it keeps us awake at what could be in the future. And and that's how we really should think about God's word, I think. It should delight us, like you said. And I remember, too, Paul prays often in his letters for the people. In those prayers, he usually mentions something about them growing in their understanding mm-hmm. and growing in their knowledge and wisdom of Christ. Yep. And so I kind of bring that back around. But that should mark a Christian's walk is growth Onward and upward, not breaking apart, falling apart, and rejecting piece by piece. Mm-hmm. Every bit of the Christian faith. Yeah, for sure. So we hope this was beneficial. We hope this was encouraging and helpful, whether you are the doubter or whether you're someone who has friends that doubt. That are currently walking through a situation. Yeah, we really, like I said, I do have a special place in my heart for this topic and people like this because... I just have a lot of really close friends from childhood and other times in my life that this applies to. So yeah, it's kind of a hot new trend right now. And yeah, the new trend of deconstructed faith or the deconversion yeah. stories and that sort of thing. So they're spiritual agnostic. Mystic too. Mystic Christians. That's like yeah. the big thing with them too. Yeah. It's just utter nonsense. Yeah. It's crazy nonsense. All right, y'all. All right. We're done with this one. Tune in next week for another episode on Tuesday. Don't forget Rebel Podcast on Wednesday and Fathers of the Faith on Monday. We thank you for listening. We pray. That raspy, (laughs) Tom Selleck-like voice. Oh my gosh. We pray that the (laughs) eyes of your heart may be enlightened by the power of the Spirit. And until next time, get woke. Let's start with the microphone check. One, two, first. Water to the dry and weary soul of the true church. The kind of things that few search. They say that the truth hurts. Well, this pain is gain, so let's explain the new birth. First things first, can't neglect this at the start. I must preface my remarks with the deadness of the heart. From original sin, the effects of the fall. The sin of our first parents brought death to us all. Since Adam was our federal head, what he did counted for us. In him were all rebels and dead. Yo, captured in the mind, disaster, sin and crimes in a State, Alaska in the winter time, sour in our frames. Left to ourselves, we be devoured in the flames. Cause we're powerless to change. If you feel that way, I pray that you respond happily. As you see what Jesus had to say in John chapter 3.
you peep this, you'll see that verse one is my thesis. It's the deepest truth that should get you speechless. What scripture teaches will fill in the missing pieces. Picture Jesus meeting up with Nicodemus. Perhaps it was fright about the other Pharisees' wicked spite against Christ that turned this into Nicked Night. He called the rabbi and gave him props, said he was a teacher from God. Jesus replied, made him stop. Regarding the kingdom of God, no one's going in. In fact, you can't even see it unless you're born again. That must have consumed and stretched his mind, cause he said, Can a man enter his mother's womb a second time? Naturalistically, the only way for him to hear it. Jesus said, You must be born of the water and the spirit. No other way to enter heaven. That sounds like Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. In this new birth, the spirit is the source and the agent. The water symbolizes spiritual purification. Flesh can only produce flesh. That's true and factual. Regenerating work of the spirit is supernatural. It's kind of like the wind, which is free. East to west can't perceive the steps. You can only see its effects in the same way the Holy Spirit chooses who he pleases to sovereignly open their eyes to the truth of Jesus. For the spirit's mysterious operation uh-huh. We will all be under serious condemnation I'd still be rejecting the sun If God hadn't said let there be light Like Genesis 1 yeah. And just like the light could not refuse to shine Irresistible grace has renewed my mind Let's exalt the king who died and truly is risen Jesus. The new birth is not the effect of human decision But the cause It changes our natural habitation The situation It's a radical transformation I was cursed and polluted So my dirt was inexcusable With new internal his person is beautiful, his worth is indisputable The lamb is amazing, a standing ovation for his work in the crucible So let us respond with true worship and love To the God who was given new birth from above yeah.